I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. <sighs> There's nothing I can say about the election that's original or new or insightful for anyone who's going to be listening, but it's a thing happening here in America, and it's just draining. Uh, it's a lot like when I bought my dumb new iPhone. It's basically the same as the iPhone I had, just slightly different. So I thought, oh, I'll get it. Uh, because I want to play with the cameras. I'm a camera person. Big camera, camera dork. But, uh, so, for two weeks I had to wait before I could go pick it up. And it just, it was, uh, like an unfinished story. I just want that out of the way. I just want to have the dumb thing and move on with my life. And then, you know, worry about my cats. So for two weeks, it's under my skin, and I'm constantly thinking about it, and just, is it going to go smoothly? I have to go down a person and pick it up. What's that going to be like? Blah, blah, blah. It's not a big deal, but it's just one of those things that I suddenly obsess over. And then once I have it, it's like it never happened. And then I just move on with my life. Uh, this election is a lot like that for me. It's probably... I was convinced, well, apparently there's a big turnout. So... They always say if a lot of people vote, uh, usually Democrats win. So if there's really this big turnout, then I suppose that uh, maybe we'll see some hint on election night of what's going to happen. Either there's going to be a big turnout for Biden and it becomes very obvious he's going to win, or nothing really happens and it winds up being uh, Trump winning again. I don't know, uh, but boy, wouldn't it be nice to have some idea of what the next four years are going to be before I go to bed. But no, uh, you know, because of the mail-in ballots, because of COVID, uh, it's going to take a few days before we find out what each state really says. It turned out to be a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I thought it was going to be extremely one way or extremely the other, but apparently it's just right in the middle, bouncing around state to state. So still waiting. It looks like Biden might win. We don't know. Uh, otherwise, the Senate pretty much looks like it's going to stay the same with Mitch McConnell still doing what he does. Uh, the House will probably stay the same, which means Nancy Pelosi will just keep doing what she does. And, uh, yeah, either way, there's probably going to be a civil war. I guess got that to look forward to. Or maybe that'll get under my skin. Are we going to have the civil war? Are we not going to have the civil war? I just want to know what the next 10 years is going to look like for me uh, trying to get groceries with bombs going off. I don't know. A lot of fun. What would a civil war look like with uh, Trump supporters? So far, what they do is they ride in golf carts with big Trump flags and then shout racial epithets at people. Or they all get in their, their tiny boats and speed around and capsize each other because they won't follow the rules of uh, being in a boat. So it causes too many waves and sinks, their, sinks the smaller boats. The bigger boats sink the, sink the smaller boats. There's so much symbolism there. Uh, but in either case, election and uh, unforeseen future. Well, with that, let's uh, dive into our story. Well, I still don't uh, have anything to say uh, about our, our collection author, Andrew Lang, who collected all these fairy tales into the Blue Fairy Book. So with that, I was doing my notes today for this episode, thinking about the election, and uh, made an appointment to go get a flu shot. It's kind of mandatory at my work. So I got up, I went down to the, to the clinic, and waited patiently for my turn to get my shot. 
And then as I sit in the little room where you sit in the chair that's got the weird armrests that are real, real high up to rest your arm on and get your shot, and the lady who was uh, doing it took down my information and, and hummed to herself quietly the entire time. Just a pleasant, uh, middle-aged, or later middle-aged woman, who I imagine at the end of the night would go home and, and watch episodes of Monk while eating uh, some sort of instant dinner. And uh, she said, uh, is this arm, you going to use this arm to get the shot? And I said, yes, that arm's fine, whatever, any arm's fine. And she hummed to herself and said, you know, lately I can't stop thinking about dwarf hamsters. And I said, that's weird. Why do you want to think about that? She goes, well, I went to uh, factfile.org just because I want to learn more about dwarf hamsters. Uh, they just seem so fascinating. And I said, what the, what makes them fascinating? And she says, the lifespan. Did you know that dwarf hamsters do not have long lifespan? Uh, they may live for around three years. Uh, the living condition will affect the lifespan. In most cases, the dwarf hamsters, which live in the wild, will live for two years. Uh, in captivity, yeah, they'll live for uh, four years. I said, yeah, well, I guess it makes sense. And uh, she goes, oh, oh, it doesn't stop there. The amazing speed. Uh, yeah. The dwarf hamsters have amazing speed. Uh, in one night, the hamsters will do uh, four human marathons, for they love running. Well, and I was like, okay, are you going to take the shot now? And uh, she, right as she shoved the needle into my arm, she said, Where to find dwarf hamsters? Ah, the deserted areas located in Xinjiang, Mongolia, Tuvia, and uh, Lake Sizan feature the dwarf hamsters. Uh, and so she injected it, and then she asked me, uh, do you have any history of uh, getting, uh, whatever, apoplectic shock from these shots? And I said, oh, God, no. And of course, now that's all I'm going to be thinking about on my drive home, is if I'm going to be, like, having symptoms of going into shock. And she laughed and hummed to herself and said, the habitat, uh, the dwarf hamsters like to live uh, on the square vegetation and loose sand. Uh, it is hard to find the hamsters in the solid clay areas and dense vegetation. She pulled the needle out of my arm. I got up and said, uh, well, this is all very interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, do I get a sticker or anything? And she said, the elevation? And I said, I just want a sticker. She said, dwarf hamsters uh, will like to live at the height of 3,900 feet to 4,760 feet or 1,200 meter to 1,450 meter. And I just turned and left because clearly I wasn't going to have a conversation with this woman. So with that, let's dive into our story. The Yellow Dwarf Once upon a time, there lived a queen who had been the mother of a great many children. And of them all, only one daughter was left, but she was worth at least a thousand, again with all the favoritism. Her mother, who since the death of the king, her father, had nothing in the world she cared for so much as this little princess, was so terribly afraid of losing her uh, that she quite spoiled her and never tried to correct any of her faults. The consequence was that uh, this little person, who was as pretty as possible, and was uh, one day to wear a crown, grew up, oh, so proud and so much in love with her own beauty that she despised everyone else in the world. The queen, her mother... By her caresses and flatteries, helped to make her believe that there was uh, nothing too good for her. Ah, she was dressed almost always in the prettiest frocks, ah, as a fairy, or as a, as a queen, going out to hunt. And the ladies of the court followed her dressed as forest fairies. Weird. And to make her more vain than ever, the queen caused her portrait to be taken by the cleverest painters and sent it to several neighboring kings with whom she was very friendly. Uh, when they saw this portrait, oh, they fell in love with the princess. Oh, every one of them. But upon each, it had a different effect. One uh, fell ill. One went quite, uh, quite crazy. And a few of the luckiest set off to see her as soon as possible. But these poor princes became her slaves the moment they set eyes on her. Never has there been a, a gayer court. Twenty delightful kings did everything they could think of to make themselves agreeable, and after having spent uh, ever so much money in giving a single entertainment, thought uh, themselves uh, very lucky if the princess said, eh, that's pretty. 
All this admiration vastly pleased the queen. Not a day passed, but she received seven or eight thousand sonnets, ah, and as many eulogies and madrigals and songs uh, which were sent to her by all the poets in the world. All the prose and poetry uh, that was written just then was about Bellissima. Uh, for that was the princess's name. Well, that's quite a long ways before we finally learned that. Quite a long walk. And all the bonfire fires that they had were made of these verses, which crackled and sparkled better than any other sort of wood. Well, that's cruel. Bellissima was already uh, 15 years old. Uh, again, with the underage girls. And every one of the princes wished to marry her, but not one dared to say so. How could they when they knew that any of them might have cut off uh, his head five or six times a day just to please her? And she would have thought it a mere trifle. Uh, so little did she care. And you may imagine how hard-hearted her lovers thought her. And the queen who wished to see her married did not know how to persuade her to think of it seriously. Uh, Belsima, she said, I do wish you would not be so uh, proud. Uh, what makes you to despise all these uh, nice kings? I wish you to marry one of them, and you do not try to please me. Oh, I'm so happy, Belsima answered. Uh, do leave me in peace, madam. I don't want to care for anyone. But you'd be very happy with any of these princes, said the queen, and I shall be very angry if you fall in love with anyone who is not worthy of you. But the princess thought so much of herself that she did not consider any one of her lovers uh, clever or handsome enough for her. And her mother, who was getting really angry at her determination not to be married, began to wish that she had not allowed her to have, so, uh, have her own way so much. At last, not knowing what else to do, she resolved to consult a certain witch, who was called, quote, the fairy of the desert. Now, this was very difficult to do as she was uh, guarded by some terrible lions, but happily the queen uh, had heard a long time before that whoever wanted to pass these lions safely must throw to them uh, a cake made of millet flour, uh, sugar candy, and crocodile's eggs. Hmm. This cake she prepared with her own hands. And putting it in a little basket, uh, she set out to seek the fairy. But as she was not used to walking far, she soon felt very tired and sat down at the foot of the tree to rest, and presently uh, fell fast asleep. When she awoke, she was dismayed to find her uh, basket empty. Now the cake was all gone. And to make matters worse, at that moment she heard the, the roaring of the great lions, who had found out that she was near and were coming to look for her. Eh, what shall I do, she cried. I shall be eaten up. And being too frightened to run a single step, she began to cry and leaned against the tree under which she had been asleep. Just then she heard one say, Hmm, hmm, exclamation point. And she looked all around her and, and then up the tree, and there she saw, ah, a little tiny man who was eating oranges. <laughs> oh, queen, said he, I know you very well, and I know how much afraid you are of the lions, and you are quite right to, for they have eaten many other people, and uh, what can you expect, as you have not any cake to give them? I must make up my mind to die, said the poor queen. Alas, I should not care so much if only uh, my daughter were married. Oh, oh, you have a daughter, cried the yellow dwarf, who was so called because he was a dwarf and had such a yellow face and lived in the orange tree. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that, for I've been looking for a, a wife all over the world. Now, if you will promise that she will marry me, not one of the lions, tigers, or bears shall, shall touch you. When did the tigers and bears come into the picture? How many, what, what's multi-tiered surveillance system or whatever going on? The queen looked at him and was almost as much afraid of his ugly little face as she had been of the lions before, so that she could not speak a word. Yeah, yeah what? You hesitate, madam, cried the dwarf. You must be very fond of being eaten up alive. <laughs> And as he spoke, the queen saw the lions, which were running down a hill toward them. Each one had two heads, uh, eight feet, and four rows of teeth. She could see all that detail from all the way out there. And their skins were as hard as turtle shells and, uh, and, uh, and bright red. <laughs> Just throw that in. At this dreadful sight, the poor queen, who was trembling like a dove uh, when it sees a hawk, cried out as loud as she could, oh, Oh, Mr. Dwarf, Bellissima shall marry you. Oh, indeed, he said disdainfully. Bellissima's pretty enough, but I don't particularly want to marry her. Uh, you can keep her. 
Oh, noble sir, said the queen in great distress. Do not refuse her. She is the most charming princess in the world. Oh, well, he replied. Out of charity, I will take her. But be sure you don't forget that she is mine. As he spoke, a little door opened in the trunk of the orange tree. It didn't rush the queen, only just in time. And the door shut with a bang in the faces of the lions. Now, the queen was so confused that at uh, first she didn't notice another little door in the orange tree, but presently uh, it opened and she found herself in a field full of thistles and nestles. Now, it was encircled by a, a muddy ditch, and a little further on was a tiny thatched cottage, out of which came uh, the yellow dwarf with a very jaunty air. Hmm. He wore wooden shoes and a little, a little yellow coat. <laughs> and as he had no hair uh, and it was very long ears, uh, he looked altogether a, a shocking little object. I am delighted, said he to the queen, that as you are to be my mother-in-law, you should see the little house in which your Bellissima will live with me, which these thistles and nettles, uh, she can feed a donkey, which she can ride whenever she likes. Hmm. And under this humble roof, no weather can hurt her, and she will drink the water of this brook and eat frogs, which grow very fat about here, and which she will... Have me always with her, handsome, agreeable, and gay as you see me now. For if her shadow stays up by her more closely than I do, I shall be surprised. Now, the unhappy queen, seeing all this at once, what a miserable life her daughter would have with this dwarf, I could not bear the idea. It fell down, insensible, without saying a word. When she revived, she found to her great surprise that she was lying in her own bed at home. And, what's more, that she had on the loveliest laced nightcap that she had ever seen in her life. At first she thought that all her adventures, the terrible lions and their promise to the yellow dwarf that he should marry Bellissima must have been a dream. But there was a new cap with its beautiful ribbon and lace to remind her that it was all true, which made her so unhappy that she could either eat or drink or sleep for thinking of it. The princess, uh, who, in spite of her willfulness, really loved her mother with all her heart. Uh, she was much grieved when she saw her look so sad and often asked her, what was the matter? But the queen, who didn't want her to find out the truth, only said that she was uh, ill, or that one of her neighbors was threatening to make war against her. Bellissima knew quite well that something was being hidden from her, and that neither of these was the real reason of the queen's uneasiness, so she made up her mind that she would go and consult the fairy of the desert about it, especially as she had uh, often heard how wise she was. So she's going to go back. Is this going to be one of those things we have to read about this three times in a row? And she thought that, at the same time, she might ask her advice as to whether it would be well to be married or not. So, with great care, she made some of the proper cake to pacify the lions, and one night she went up to her room very early, pretending that she was going to go to bed. But instead of that, she wrapped herself in a long white veil and went down a secret staircase and set off all by herself to find the witch. Yeah, but when she got as far as the same fatal orange tree... She saw it covered with flowers and fruit. Uh, she stopped and began to gather some of the oranges, and then, putting down her basket, she sat down to eat them. Yeah, but when it was time to go again, the basket disappeared, and, and though she looked everywhere, uh, not a trace of it she could find, the more she hunted for it, the more frightened she got, and at last she, uh, she began to cry. When all at once, she saw before her the yellow dwarf. Uh, what's the matter with you, uh, my <laughs> pretty one, said he. Hey, what are you crying about? Alas, she answered, no wonder that I am crying, seeing that I have lost the basket of cake that was to help me get safely to the cave of the fairy of the desert. How come no one ever prepares for the tigers and bears that are also a part of this defense system? And what do you want with her, pretty one, said the little monster, for I am a friend of hers, and for that matter that, I am quite clever as she is. The queen, ah, my mother, replied the princess, has lately fallen into such deep sadness that I fear she will die, and I am afraid that perhaps I am the uh, cause of it, for she very much wishes me to be married, and I must tell you truly that as yet I have not found anyone I consider worthy to be my husband. So, for all these reasons, I wish to talk to the fairy. Uh, do not give yourself any further trouble, princess, answered the dwarf. I can tell you all you want to know better than she could. The queen, uh, your mother, has promised you in marriage. Has promised me in italics with an exclamation point? Interrupted the princess. Oh, no, I'm sure she has not. She would have told me if she had. 
Oh, I'm too much interested in the matter of, uh, for her to promise anything without my consent. You must be mistaken. Hey, beautiful princess, cried the dwarf suddenly, throwing himself on his knees before her. I flatter myself that you will not be displeased at her choice when I, when I tell you that it is to me that she has promised the happiness of marrying you. You, cried Bellissima, starting back. And my mother wishes me to marry you. How can you be so silly as to think such a thing? Oh, it isn't that I care much to have that honor, cried the, cried the dwarf angrily. Uh, but here are the lions coming, and they'll eat you up in three mouthfuls. And there will be a, an end of you and your pride. And indeed, at that moment, the poor princess heard their dreadful howls coming near and near. What shall I do, she cried. Must all my happy days come to an end like this? The malicious dwarf looked at her and, and began to laugh uh, spitefully. <laughs> at least, said he, you have the satisfaction of dying unmarried. A lovely princess like you must surely prefer to die rather than to be the wife of a poor little dwarf like myself. Ha ha ha. Oh, don't be angry with me, cried the princess, clasping her hands. I'd rather marry all the dwarfs in the world than die in this horrible way. Look at me well, princess, before you give me your word, said he. I don't want you to promise me in a, in a hurry. <laughs> oh, cried she, the lions are coming. I have looked at you enough. I am so frightened. Uh, save me this minute, or I shall die of terror. Indeed, as she spoke, she fell down insensible. And when she recovered, she found herself in her own little bed at home. Uh, how she got there, eh, she couldn't tell. But she was dressed in the most beautiful lace and ribbons. And on her finger, that's disturbing. He saw her naked, apparently. And on her finger was a little ring, made of a, a, ugh, a single red hair, which fitted so tightly that, try as she might, she could not get it off. When the princess saw all these things and remembered what had happened, she too fell into the deepest sadness, which surprised uh, and alarmed the whole court. And the queen more than anyone else. In a few hundred times she asked Bellissima if anything was the matter with her, but she always said there was nothing. Alas, the chief men of the kingdom, anxious to see their princess married, sent to the queen to beg her to choose a husband for her as soon as possible. As she replied that nothing would please her better, but that her daughter seemed uh, so unwilling to marry, and she recommended them to go and talk to the princess about it themselves. So they did this at once. Now, uh, Bellissima was much less proud since her adventure with the Yellow Dwarf, and she could not think of a better way of getting rid of the little monster than to marry some powerful king. Therefore, she replied to their request much more favorably than they had hoped. Saying that, although she was very happy as she was still to please them, she would consent to marry the king of the gold mines. Now he was very handsome, ah, and powerful prince, who had been in love with the princess for years but had not thought that she would ever care about him at all. Ah, you can easily imagine how delighted he was when he heard the news. Oh, and he, how angry it made all the other kings ah, to lose their hope of ever marrying the princess. But... After all, Bellissima could not have married twenty kings. <laughs> Indeed, she had found it quite difficult enough to choose one, for her vanity made her believe that there was nobody in the world who was as worthy of her. Preparations were begun at once for the grandest wedding that had ever been held at the palace. Now, the king of the gold mines sent such immense sums of money uh, that the whole sea was covered with ships that brought it. Messengers were sent to all the gayest and most refined courts, particularly of the court of France, uh, to seek out everything rare and precious to adorn the princess, although her beauty was so perfect that nothing she wore could make her look prettier. At least that's what the uh, king of the gold mines thought, and he was never happy unless he was with her. As for the princess, the more she saw of the king, the more, uh, the more she liked him. Uh, he was so generous and so handsome and clever that at last uh, she was almost as much in love with him as he was with her. How happy they were as they wandered about in the beautiful gardens together, sometimes listening to uh, sweet music. And the king used to write songs for Bellissima. Uh, this is the one that she liked very much. Uh, I'm not going to sing it. In the forest, all is gay. Uh, when my princess walks that way, all the blossoms uh, then are found downward, fluttering now to the ground, hoping that she may tread on them. Uh, the bright flowers on slender stem gaze up at her as she passes, brushing lightly through the grasses. Oh, exclamation point, my princess, birds above, echo back our songs of love. As 
though this enchanted land blithe we wander hand in hand. They really were as happy as the day was long, and all the king's unsuccessful rivals had gone home in despair. Ha ha! They had said goodbye to the princess so sadly that she could not help being sorry for them. Ah, uh, madam, the king of the gold mines said to her, how is this? Why do you waste your pity? Ah, these uh, princes uh, who love you so much that all their trouble would be well repaid by a single smile from you. Uh, I should be sorry, answered Bellissima, if you had not noticed how much I pitied these princes who were leaving me here forever. Uh, but for you, sire, it is very different. You have every reason to be pleased with me, but they are going sorrowfully away, so you must not grudge them my compassion. The king of the gold mines was quite overcome by the princess's good-natured way of taking to his interference and throwing himself at her feet and kissed her hand oh, a thousand times and begged her to forgive him. At last, the happy day came. Everything was ready for Bellissima's wedding. The trumpets sounded. All the streets of the town were hung with flags and strewn with flowers, and the people ran in crowds to the great square before the palace. The queen was uh, so overjoyed that she had hardly been able to sleep at all, and she got up before it was light to give the necessary orders and uh, choose the jewels that the princess was to wear. These were nothing less than diamonds, even to her shoes, which were covered with them. And her dress was a silver brocade, brocade, eh, whatever, was embroidered uh, with a dozen of the sun's rays. You may imagine how much these cost, but nothing could have been more brilliant except for the, the beauty of the princess. Upon her head, she wore a splendid crown, and her lovely hair waved nearly to her feet. And her stately figure could easily be distinguished among all the ladies who attended her. The king of the gold mines was not less noble and splendid, it was easy to see by his face, oh, how happy he was. And everyone who was went near him returned loaded with presents for all around the great banqueting hall had been arranged a thousand barrels full of gold and numberless bags made of velvet embroidered with pearls and filled this is so detailed it's like Stephanie Meyer wrote this each one containing at least a hundred thousand gold pieces which were given away to everyone who liked to hold out his hand which numbers of people hastened to you may be sure indeed some found this by far the most amusing part of the wedding festivities the queen and the princess were just ready to set out with the king when they saw advancing toward them from the end of the long gallery, two great basilisks dragging after them a very badly made box. Behind them came a tall old woman whose ugliness was even more surpassing than her extreme old age. Well, that's just mean. She wore a ruff of black taffeta, ah, a red velvet hood, and a farthingale all in rags. She leaned heavily upon a, upon a crutch, the strange old woman, without saying a single word, hobbled three times round the gallery, uh, followed by the basilisk. Sounds like it was very time-consuming to watch her go around three times. Then, stopping in the middle and uh, brandishing her crutch threateningly, she cried, Ho, ho, queen, ho, ho, princess. Do you think that you're going to break with impunity the promise that you made to my friend, the yellow dwarf? I am the fairy of the desert. Uh, without the yellow dwarf and his orange tree, my great lions would soon have eaten you up. And I can tell you, and in fairyland, we do not suffer ourselves to be insulted like this. Uh, make up your minds at once what you will do, for I vow that you shall marry the yellow dwarf. And if you don't, may I burn my crutch. Well, that's not much of a trade. Ah, uh, princess, said the queen, weeping. What is this that I hear that you have promised? Ah, my mother, replied Bellissima sadly. What is it that, what did you promise yourself? The king of the gold mines, indignant at being kept from his happiness by this wicked old woman, went up to her and threatening her with his sword, he said, uh, get away out of my country at once and, uh, and forever, miserable creature lest I take your life, and uh, so rid myself of your malice. He had hardly spoken these words when the lid of the box fell back on the floor with a terrible noise, and to their horror, out sprang the yellow dwarf, mounted upon a great Spanish cat. What? What's a Spanish cat? Rash youth, he cried, uh, rushing between the fairy of the desert and the king, dare to lay a finger upon this illustrious fairy. Your quarrel with me is with me only. 
I am your enemy and your rival. That faithless princess who would would have married you is promised to me. See if she has not upon her finger a ring made of one of my hairs. Oh, just try to take it off, and you will soon find that I am more powerful than you are. Eh, wretched little monster, said the king, do you dare to call yourself the princess's lover and to lay claim to such a such treasure? Do you know uh, that you are a dwarf? That you are so ugly uh, that one cannot bear to look at you? And that I should have killed you myself long before this if you had been worthy of such a glorious death? Oh, the yellow dwarf, deeply enraged at these words, set spurs to his cat. What's what's the Spanish cat? Which yelled horribly and leapt hither ah, and thither, terrifying everybody except the uh, the brave king, who perused the dwarf closely, till he, drawing a great knife with which he was armed, uh, challenged the king to meet him in single combat, and rushed down to the courtyard of the palace with a terrible clatter. The king, uh, quite provoked, followed him hastily, and they had hardly taken their places, facing one another, and the whole court had only just burp had time to rush out upon the balconies to watch what was going on, when suddenly uh, the sun became as red as blood, and it was so dark that they could scarcely see it all, and the thunder crashed, the lightning seemed as if it were to burn up everything, uh, the two basilisks appeared, uh, one on each side of the bad dwarf, like, uh, like giants, uh, mountains high, and fire flew from their uh, nostrils and ears until they looked like flaming furnaces. None of these things could terrify the noble young king, and the boldness of his looks and actions reassured those who were looking on, and perhaps even embarrassed the yellow dwarf himself. But even his courage gave way when he saw what was happening to his beloved princess. For the fairy of the desert, looking more terrible than before, mounted upon a winged griffin from out of nowhere, and with long snakes coiled around her neck, had given her such a blow with the lance that she carried that Belisima fell into the queen's arms, uh, bleeding and uh, senseless. Her, her fond mother, feeling as much hurt by the blow as the princess herself, uh, uttered such piercing cries and lamentations that the king, uh, hearing them, entirely lost his courage and presence of mind. Uh, giving up the combat... He flew toward the princess to rescue or die with her, but the yellow dwarf was uh, too quick for him, leaping with his uh, Spanish cat upon the balcony. Again, what is a Spanish cat? I'm going to see if the the Kindle has it. Spanish cat. No results. I don't think it exists. Upon the balcony, he snatched Belisiva from the queen's arms, and before any of the ladies of the court could stop him, he had sprung upon the roof of the palace and disappeared with his prize. Well, the king, motionless with horror, looked on despairingly at this uh, dreadful occurrence, which he was quite powerless to prevent. And uh, to make matters worse, his sight failed him. Uh, everything became dark, uh, and he felt himself carried along through the air by a, by a strong hand. This new misfortune was the work of the wicked fairy of the desert, who had come with the yellow dwarf to help him carry off the princess and had fallen in love with the handsome young king of the gold mines directly she saw him. Uh, she thought that if she carried him off to some uh, frightful cavern and uh, eh, chained him to a rock, then the fear of death would make him forget Belisima and become her slave. So, uh, as soon as they reached the place, she gave him back his sight, but without releasing him from the chains, and uh, by her magic powers, she appeared before him as a young and beautiful fairy, and pretended to have come there quite by chance. Uh, what do I see? she cried. It is you, dear prince. Ah, what misfortune has brought you to this dismal place? The king, who was quite deceived by her altered appearance, replied, Alas, beautiful fairy, uh, the fairy who brought me here first took away my sight, uh, but by her voice I recognized her as the fairy of the desert, though uh, what she should have carried off uh, for uh, me off for, I cannot tell you. Ah, cried the pretended fairy, if you have fallen into her hands, uh, you won't get away till you've married her. She has carried off more than one prince like this, and she will certainly have anything she takes fancy to. And while she was thus pretending to be sorry for the king, he suddenly noticed her, uh, suddenly noticed her feet, yeah, which were like those of a griffin. Oh, he knew in a moment that this must be the fairy of the desert. Why, did she always have griffin feet? Why is that a detail? 
Uh, for her feet were the one thing that she could not change, however pretty she might make her face. Without seeming to have noticed anything, he said in a confidential way, uh, not that I have any dislike of the fairy of the desert, but I really cannot endure the way in which she protects the yellow dwarf and keeps me chained here like a criminal. Nah, it's true that I love a charming princess, but if the fairy should set me free, my gratitude would oblige me to love her only. Eh, do you really mean what you say, prince? said the fairy, quite deceived. Oh, surely, replied the prince. How could I deceive you? Uh, you see, it is so much more flattering to my vanity to be, to be loved by a fairy yeah, than by a simple princess. Ugh. But even if I'm dying of love for her, I shall pretend to hate her until I am set free. Fairy of the desert, oh, quite taken in by these words, resolved at once to transport the prince to a pleasanter, pleasanter place. Pleasanter place? Good old Kindle. Let's find out if pleasanter is a word. Pleasant. Pleasanter. Giving a sense. Of, okay, it's actually a word. I've never seen pleasanter spelled like that. So, making him mount her chariot, to which she had harnessed swans instead of the uh, uh, bats, which generally drew it, away she flew with them. But imagine the distress of the prince, when from the giddy height at which they were rushing through the air, he saw his beloved princess in a castle built of polished steel, uh, the walls of which reflected the sun's rays so hotly that uh, no one could approach it without uh, being burnt to a cinder! Exclamation point. Uh, Bellissima was sitting in a little thicket by the brook, leaning her head upon her hand and uh, weeping, uh, uh, weeping bitterly. But just as they passed, she looked up and saw the king of the fairy of the desert. Oh, the king and the fairy of the desert. Now, the fairy uh, is so clever that she could not only seem beautiful to the king, but even the poor princess uh, thought her the most lovely being she had ever seen. Uh, what? she cried. Uh, was I not unhappy enough in this lonely castle to... To that frightful yellow dwarf brought me. Must I also be made to know that the king of the gold mines ceased to love me as soon as he lost sight of me? Ah, but who can my rival be, whose fatal beauty is greater than mine? While she was saying this, the king, who really loved her as much as ever, was feeling terribly sad at being so rapidly torn away from his beloved princess, but he knew too well how powerful the fairy was to have any hope of escaping from her, except by, by great patience, I and cunning. The fairy of the desert had also seen Belsima. She tried to read in the king's eyes the effect of this unexpected sight it had upon him. No one can tell you what you wish to know better than I can, said he. This chance meeting with, a, with an unhappy princess, for whom I once had a passing fancy, uh, before I was lucky enough to meet you, has affected me little. I admit, uh, but you are so much more to me than she is that I would rather die than leave you. Ah, prince, she said. Can I believe that you really love me so much? A time will show, madam, replied the king. But if you wish to convince me that you have some regard for me, do not, I beg of you, refuse to aid Bellissima. Yeah, do you know what you're asking? Said the fairy of the desert, frowning and looking at him suspiciously. Do you want me to, uh, to employ my art against the yellow dwarf? Uh, who is my best friend, uh, take away from him a proud princess whom I can but look upon as my rival? Uh, the king sighed, but made no answer. Indeed, uh, what was there to be said uh, to such a clear-sighted person? At last they reached a vast meadow, gay with all sorts of flowers. A deep river surrounded it, and many little brooks murmured softly under the shady trees, and there was always a cool and a fresh. Uh, a little way off stood a stood a, a splendid palace, uh, the walls of which were transparent uh, emeralds. As soon as the swans which drew the fairy's chariot had alighted under a porch, uh, which was paved with diamonds and uh, had arches of rubies, they were greeted on all sides by thousands of beautiful beings who came to meet them joyfully, singing these words, Now when the love within the heart should reign, useless to strive against him, his, the proud but feel a sharper pain and uh, make a, a greater triumph his. 
out the fair of the desert, was delighted to hear them sing of her triumphs, and led the king into the most splendid room that can be imagined, and left him alone for a little while, just as he thought might not be that uh, he was a prisoner. They felt sure that uh, she had not really gone quite away, but was watching him from, uh, from some hiding place. So walking up to a great mirror, he said to it, Trusty counselor, uh, let me see what I can do to make myself uh, uh, more agreeable to the charming fairy of the desert, for I can think of nothing but how to please her. And he at once set to work to, to curl his hair, and seeing upon a table of grander coat than his own, he put it on carefully. Ah, the fairy came back so delighted that she could not conceal her joy. Oh, uh, I'm quite aware of the trouble you have uh, taken to please me, uh, said she, and I must tell you that you have succeeded ah, perfectly already. And you see, it is not difficult to do if you really care for me. The king, who had his own reasons for wishing to keep the old fairy in a good humor, did not spare uh, pretty speeches. And after a time he was allowed to walk by himself upon the seashore, the fairy of the desert had by her enchantments raised uh, such a terrible storm that the boldest pilot would not venture out into it. So she was not afraid of her prisoners being able to escape and found it in some relief to think sadly over his terrible situation without being interrupted by uh, his cruel captor. Presently, after walking wildly up and down, he wrote these verses upon the sand with his stick. There's a lot of singing and a lot of poetry in this one. At last may I upon this shore light my sorrow ah, with soft tears. Ugh. Alas, alas, I see no more. My love, uh, who yet my sadness cheers. Uh, and thou, O oh, raging stormy sea, stirred by wild winds from depth uh, to height, thou holdest my loved one uh, far from me, and I am captive to thy might. My heart eh, is still more wild than thine, uh, for fate is cruel unto me, why must I thus in exile uh, pine? Why is the princess snatched from me? Oh, lovely nymphs, uh, ocean caves, <laughs> who know how sweet true love may be. Uh, come up and calm the furious waves uh, and set a desperate lover free. While he was still writing, he heard a voice which attracted his attention in spite of himself. Seeing that the waves were rolling higher than ever, he looked all round and presently saw uh, a lovely lady floating gently toward him upon the crest of a huge billow. Her long hair spread all about her, and in one hand she, she held a mirror, uh, in the other uh, a comb. And instead of a uh, instead of feet, uh, which had a beautiful uh, tail like a fish, with which she swam. Well, the king was struck dumb with astonishment at the unexpected sight, but as soon as he uh, came within speaking distance, she said to him, I know how sad you are at losing your princess. And being kept a prisoner by the fairy of the desert, if you like, I'll help you to escape from this fatal place, where you may otherwise have to drag on a weary existence for, ooh, 30 years or more. The king of the gold mines hardly knew how to answer to make this proposal, not because he did not wish very much to escape, but he was afraid that this might be only another device by which the fairy of the desert was trying to deceive him. As he hesitated, the mermaid, who guessed his thoughts, said to him, Oh, Oh you, oh, you may trust me. Uh, I'm not trying to trap you. Oh, I'm so angry with the yellow dwarf uh, and the fairy of the desert that I am not likely to wish to help them, especially since I constantly see uh, your poor princess, oh, whose beauty and goodness make me pity her so much. And I tell you that if you will have a confidence in me, I will help you uh, to escape. I trust you absolutely, cried the king. That's all it took. And I will do whatever you tell me. But if you have seen my princess, I beg you to tell me how she is and uh, what's happening to her. Eh, we must not waste time in talking, said she. Come with me, and I will carry you to the Castle of Steel. And we will leave upon the shore a figure so like that that even the fairy herself will not be deceived by it. So saying, she quickly collected a bundle of seaweed and uh, blowing it three times, she said, Ah, my friend, the seaweeds, I order you to stay here, stretched upon the sand until the fairy of the desert comes to take you away. And at once the seaweeds became, oh, like the king, who stood looking at them in great astonishment, for they were even dressed in a coat like his, uh, but they lay there pale and still as the king himself might have lain, if uh, one of the great waves had overtaken him and thrown him senseless upon the shore. And then uh, the mermaid caught up the king, and away they swam, joyfully together. 
Uh, now, said she, I have time to tell you about the princess. In spite of the blow which the fairy of the desert gave her, the yellow dwarf compelled her to mount behind him upon his terrible Spanish cat. They've got to find out what a Spanish cat is. Now I want one. They talk about it so much. But she soon fainted away with pain and terror and did not recover until they were within the walls of his frightful castle of steel. Here she was received by the prettiest girls it was possible to find and who had been carried there by the yellow dwarf who hastened to wait upon her and show her every possible attention. She was laid upon a couch covered with cloth of gold embroidered with pearls uh, as big as nuts. Burp. Ah, interrupted the king of the gold mines. If Bellis, how come he never gets a name? If Bellissima forgets me and consents to marry him, I shall break my heart. Oh, you need not be afraid of that, answered the mermaid. Ah, the princess thinks of no one but you, and the frightful dwarf cannot persuade her to look at him. Pray, uh, go on with your story, said the king. What's more is there to tell you, replied the mermaid. Bellissima is sitting in the wood when you passed and saw you with the fairy of the desert, who was so cleverly disguised that the princess took her to be prettier than herself. Oh, you may imagine her despair, for she thought that you had fallen in love with her. She believes that I love her, cried the king. Oh, what a fatal mistake. What it is to be done to undeceive her. That was a weird sentence. You know best, answered the mermaid, smiling kindly at him, when people are as much in love with one another as you two are. And they don't need advice from anyone else. As she spoke, they reached the castle of steel. The side next to the sea being the only one which the yellow dwarf had left unprotected by the dreadful burning walls. I know quite well, said the mermaid, that the princess is sitting by the brookside. Uh, just where you saw her as you passed. But as you will have many enemies to fight uh, with before you can reach her, take this sword, armed it, uh, burp, oh lord, arm it with you, may dare any danger. Arm it, arm it with you, may dare any danger. All right, and overcome the greatest difficulties. Only beware of one thing, that is, never to let it fall from your hand. That's kind of obvious. Farewell. Now I will wait by uh, eh, that rock. And if you need any help uh, carrying off your beloved princess, I will not fail you, uh, for the queen, her mother, is my best friend. And it was for her sake that I went to rescue you. So saying, she gave the king a sword uh, made from a single, a single diamond, so it's like a tiny sword, which was more brilliant than the sun. Stephanie Meyer totally wrote this. He could not find words to express his gratitude, but he begged her to believe that he would fully appreciate the importance of her gift and would never forget her help and kindness. We must now go back to the fairy princess of the desert. Wow. We're doing like flashbacks and stuff now. Like a, this is basically right. This is a this is one of those parts where they say meanwhile, and then they show the fairy of the desert. When she found that the king did not return, she hastened out to look for him and reached the shore with a hundred of the ladies of her train, loaded with splendid presents for him. Uh, some carried eh, baskets full of diamonds, other uh, golden cups of wonderful workmanship, and uh, amber, uh, coral, uh, pearls. Others, again balanced upon their heads, bales of the richest and most beautiful stuffs with an S at the end, while the rest brought fruit and flowers and even, uh, even, even birds. But what was the horror of the fairy, er, what was the horror of the fairy, okay, who followed this gay troop when she saw stretched upon the sands the image of the king which the mermaid had made with these seaweeds, with an S at the end, struck with the astonishment and sorrow, she uttered a, a terrible cry and threw herself down beside the pretended king, oh, weeping and howling and, uh, and calling upon her eleven sisters, who were also fairies, uh, and who came to her assistance, but they were all taken in by the image of the king, for uh, clever as they were, the mermaid was still cleverer, and they, all they could do was uh, to help the fairy of the desert make a wonderful monument over what they thought was the grave of the king of the gold mines. But while they were collecting jasper and porphyry, agate and marble, gold and bronze, statues and devices to immortalize the king's memory, he was thinking the good mermaid, thanking the good mermaid and begging her to still help him. But she already said she would, and he already thanked her once, which she graciously promised to do as she disappeared. And then he set out for the castle of steel. He walked fast, looking anxiously around him and uh, longing once more to see his darling Bellissima, but he had not gone far before he was surrounded by four terrible sphinxes, 
uh, who would very soon have torn him to pieces with their sharp talons if it had not been for the mermaid's diamond sword. Uh, for no sooner had he flashed it before their eyes than they down they fell at his feet, uh, quite helpless. And he killed them uh, with one blow. But he had hardly turned to continue his search when he met six dragons covered with scales that were harder than iron. Frightful as this encounter was, the king's courage was unshaken. And by the aid of his wonderful sword, he, he cut him in pieces, one after the other. Now he hoped his difficulties were over, but at the next turning, he was met by one which he did not know how to overcome. Four and twenty pretty and graceful nymphs advanced toward him. <laughs> A bunch of naked women just running at him, holding garlands of flowers uh, with which they barred his way. Yeah, where, where are you going, Prince? They said. It's our duty to guard this place, and if we if we let you pass, great misfortunes will happen to you and us. Oh, we beg you uh, not to insist upon going on. Uh, do you, do you want to kill four and twenty girls who have never displeased you in any way? That uh, king did not know what to do or uh, to say. It went against all his ideas as a knight. He's a knight now? To do anything, a lady begged him not to do it. But he hesitated. A voice in his ear said, Strike. Strike, do not spare, or your princess is lost forever. So, without reply to the nymphs, he rushed forward instantly, breaking their garlands and scattered them all in different directions. And then he went on without further hindrance to the little wood where he had seen Bellissima. So that's it? They just... The nymphs just stand around and die or something? Uh, she was seated by the brook, looking pale and weary when he reached her, and he would have thrown himself down at her feet, but she drew herself away from him with as much indignation as if she had seen the yellow dwarf. Ah, princess, he cried, do not be angry with me. Uh, let me explain everything. I am not faithless or to blame for what has happened. I am a miserable wretch who has displeased you without being able to, to help himself. Ah, cried Bellissima. Did I not see you flying through the air with the uh, loveliest being imaginable? Uh, was that against your will? Indeed it was, princess, he answered. The wicked fairy of the desert, not content with chaining me to a rock, uh, carried me off in her chariot to the other end of the earth. Well, I should even now be a captive, but for the unexpected help of a friendly mermaid who brought me here to rescue you, my princess, from the unworthy hands that hold you. And don't, do not refuse the aid of your most faithful lover. So saying, he threw himself at her feet and held her by her rope. But alas, exclamation point, in so doing, he let fall the, the magic sword and the yellow dwarf who was crouching behind a lattice, oh, a lettuce, Oh, he's just crouched behind a lettuce. He's real, real small. Or the lettuce is gigantic. No sooner saw it than he sprang out and seized it, well knowing its wonderful power. The princess gave a cry of terror uh, on seeing the dwarf. Uh, this only irritated the little monster. Muttering a few magical words, he summoned uh, eh, two giants who bound the king with great chains of iron. Now, said the dwarf, I am master of my rival's fate, but I give him his life and permission to depart unharmed if you, princess, will consent to marry me. Does she have a choice? Why is he trying to get her to... All right. Let, let me die a thousand times, rather, cried the unhappy king. Alas, cried the princess, must you die? Could anything be more, uh, terrible? That you should marry that little wretch would be far more terrible, answered the king. At least, continued she, uh, let us uh, die together. Uh, let me uh, have the satisfaction of dying for you, uh, my princess, said he. Oh, no, no, she cried, turning to the door. Rather than that, I will do as you wish. Uh, cruel princess, said the king, would you make my life horrible to me by marrying another before my eyes? If I was the dwarf, I'd just be like, all right, God, you two are annoying. Here, just go. Take the sword. Get out. Go. <laughs> you two are pathetic. Not so, replied the dwarf. You are a rival of whom I am too much afraid. Uh, you shall not see our marriage. So saying, in spite of Bellissima's tears and cries, he stabbed the king in the heart with the diamond sword. Oh, the princess, seeing her lover lying dead at her feet, could no longer live without him. She sank down by him and died of a broken heart. So ended the unfortunate lovers who not even the mermaid could help because all the magic power had been lost with the diamond sword. As to the wicked dwarf, 
I'd prefer to see the princess dead rather than be married to the king of the gold mines. Uh, the fairy of the desert, when she heard of the king's adventures, uh, pulled down the grand monument which she had built and uh, was so angry at the trick that had been played on her that she hated him as much as she had loved him before. The kind mermaid, grieved at the sad fate of the lovers, caused them to be changed into two tall palm trees, which stand always side by side, whispering together of their faithful love and caressing one another with their interlacing branches. So, uh, what the hell happened in this story? I don't really know. As usual... An exceedingly beautiful and exceedingly underage princess uh, is going to get married and she doesn't want to, but the, uh, the mom decides to go see some sort of magic fairy who has a, a multi-tiered defense system around her home involving lions, and tigers, and bears. And apparently if you just bring a cake for the lions, that covers all the rest of them, so not much of a defense system. But she gets tricked by a yellow dwarf. It's just delightful. Sitting in an orange tree, sucking on oranges. And he basically uh, threatens her with the lions, and she agrees to sell off her daughter to a yellow dwarf sucking on oranges, and so then she gets uh, whisked away back home. It was it all a dream? Nope. She's got a new silk bed hat, which is probably the lamest gift to give someone. Anyone can get a bed hat. But, daughter... Mom, why are you so upset? She won't say. She's keeping secrets. So the daughter goes off to go see the fairy, because this is apparently everyone's answer to everything. Again with the cakes, again with the lions, and again with the yellow dwarf sucking on oranges. He tricks her into uh, marrying him. And then she wakes up in her own bed, and was it all a dream? No, because she has entire clothes that he's uh, basically put on her while she's passed out, so that's disturbing. And then... Uh, so eventually she decides, I better hurry up and marry some kind of prince. I've been putting them all off. So she finds one, uh, king of the mines or whatever. So he's a, a blue-collar man. Uh, I guess with this story, it would be a lot like marrying someone who's the head of a, a, a waste disposal empire or something. So, But ooh, she learns to love him and loves him so much. And then they get separated by the witch and the dwarf. And the witch takes the uh, prince. The dwarf takes the princess. There's a little bit of... Uh, you know, twilightish kind of, hey, I saw you getting all up with that, with the fairy. You love her. No, I don't. And they wind up dying together in front of the dwarf. And, uh, and then that's kind of it. There's a mermaid who just kind of like, oh, that sucks and laments it. And then it's kind of the story. Kind of a waste of time. Uh, what's good about it? A yellow dwarf sucking on oranges in an orange tree. I think it's delightful and whimsical. Everyone loves whimsy. Uh, what sucks? Yeah, story's meandering and didn't have a point. Highly repetitive. Apparently writing fairy tales, there wasn't much of a standard back then. You could just kind of write whatever you, you vomited out of your mouth and they just said, good enough, putting pen to paper, this one will belong to the ages. Which makes me wish you had that kind of industry now. I clean up. Uh, what do we learn? Um, maybe don't get in, I don't know, don't get involved in murky stuff that just wastes everyone's time. I mean, in the end, everyone important died for kind of no reason. Uh, they became two palm trees. Why? I don't know. That's stupid. So, just don't. I mean, if all of a sudden there's like the most beautiful princess in the world and you're lining up to marry her, just look at me like, eh, do I really want to get involved in this? Nah. I'm going to go, uh, See if there's a new iPhone I can buy. And, uh, maybe that's a lot like the election. Meandering. Uh, it influences you directly, but it's also ultimately pointless. And, uh, just try not to get involved. Yeah, go find something else to do. I think that's what we learned from this. Well, thanks for listening. Uh... I always think I'm supposed to say, uh, you know, give us a review or rate us or whatever. But where do you do that? I mean, is, is iTunes still the place people go to? I don't know. There's so many podcast uh, networks and things going on out there. It's almost impossible, kind of pointless. 
you could give us a review on iTunes, and probably not that many people are going to see it, and it doesn't really matter. Uh, you could give us a five-star rating, and that doesn't really do anything anymore. Uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to go to Spotify and try to do something? No. So, I guess sucks to that. But what you could do is go to our website, nuzzlehouse.com, uh, and if for some weird reason you're a fetishist and you just love public domain authors, burp, and you just want to see, oh, I, I wonder if he read one of my favorites. Uh, well, it's on there. You can go find it by author, by book, whatever. Uh, and also, if you want, you can email. If you got something you want to criticize me about, maybe uh, something you want to threaten me. Is that what you want to do? Or you got some kind of request. So you can do that at the website. Uh, it's Well, there's, that's it. I promoted myself. So with that, thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.